Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. And since we haven't done a pod quiz in a while, let's do a pod quiz. And the topic I've been thinking about a lot lately are NG tubes and enteral feeding. I've been working on some stuff for the website on that topic. And so let's do that. And before we get started, I want to ask everyone for a huge favor. If you could go to iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you download this podcast and please rate and review the podcast, that would be amazing. It helps people find us because it helps us rank a little higher. So when they search for us, they find us and they see that you love it. So maybe they'll love it. Win, win, win. Okay. So if you've never done a pod quiz before, here's how it works. I will ask a question, pause for a little bit so that you can answer, and then I'll tell you the answer. So the rule with pod quizzes is that you can't be sitting at your desk. Get up, get outside, or if you can't get outside and exercise, maybe just get some stuff done around the house. I did a lot of this when I was in nursing school, doing laundry, cleaning up. I felt like I got my life kind of back on track because I wasn't tied to my desk 100% of the time. So do something productive or do something joyful and good for your body. Okay. That's the deal. Okay. So let us start with the first question. What is the most common reason for an NG tube? Textbook-wise, most common reason is gastric decompression. I see it a lot also for feeding, but the textbook answer is gastric decompression. What is the pH of gastric contents? There's a slight range depending on where you're looking for the answer. It's usually like one to three and a half or one to four. So a lot of times in some facilities, you'll test the pH of the gastric contents with a little um, like pH test strip at the bedside, and that can help you understand if it's in the lungs or in the gut where you want it. How long do you wait after giving meds down an NG tube before testing the pH? You'd want to wait about an hour so that you get an accurate reading. Hopefully you have tested the pH before you gave them anything. But anyway, maybe they got some meds and then accidentally pulled on the tube and it became dislodged and you had to shove it back down in there and you wanted to recheck. Then I guess that that question makes sense. What is a Levine tube used for? You can use a Levine tube for gastric decompression and feeding. What color are gastric secretions? Usually they're kind of greenish. They could be a little off-white or tan. Um, A lot of times they'll be kind of greenish just from bile. Uh, What color are respiratory secretions? 
Respiratory secretions are typically clear to light yellow, kind of mucusy. Um, yeah, my favorite topic is respiratory secretions. That's why I could never be a respiratory therapist. I have great respect for respiratory therapists. I cannot dispute them. I can't. I can't do it. Um, it's just like the one thing that grosses me out. Okay, what color are duodenal secretions? Usually they are a deep yellow color. What kind of tube is probably the most commonly used one for GI decompression or drainage? I would say the most common is the Salem sump. Note that you can use this for decompression slash drainage as well as feeding. So a lot of times in our patients in the ICU, if an NG tube is ordered, we throw in a Salem sump. You can feed if they start having high residuals or vomiting or having belly issues. You can turn it to suction, uh, hook it up, and also drain. So it's kind of nice. It's got lots of uh, versatility that way. You'll notice your Salem sump has two lumens. What are they for? So the clear one is for drainage or feeding, and then the blue one is for air. So the reason for this is if you are decompressing the stomach with a single lumen and you had it to suction and it just sucked and sucked and sucked, eventually it would pull out everything that's in the stomach. It would pull out the air that's in the stomach, all the food that's in the stomach, or you know, gastric stuff that's in the stomach. And then that lumen would just kind of adhere to the side of the stomach and cause damage. So that blue one is for air to vent in some air so that the stomach doesn't get completely empty and that that lumen doesn't adhere to the side of the organ and cause damage. And then you'll also, in your package, there's a little blue and white vent. It's called a little, I think it's called a vent. Um, that's what I call it. And you'll notice the white side has little holes in it. So it goes in that blue port and the blue side goes down and then the air can kind of come out or in rather through the um, white air holes. And then when you hook it up to suction, you're supposed to be able to hear a very soft whistle coming through that um, little vent thing. And if you don't hear the soft whistle sound, it means you're probably clogged further down so you can send some air, like flush with air through that blue port. Don't flush the blue port with water, flush it with air and clear the clog. Um, you can flush the clear port with water but the blue one flush with air. Okay. Name some advantages of NG feeding. So just think of a few. I've got like seven listed here. Okay. So you can give um, intermittent feedings. That's nice. You can give continuous feedings. So you have a little bit of flexibility with that. 
you are able with the intermittent feedings, give what's called bolus feedings, where you can give a large volume feeding done less often um, rather than continuous. Some patients, if they're going to go home and be on long-term enteral feeding, they'll start with continuous feedings and then transition to bolus feedings because it's just a lot easier to manage day-to-day life with a bolus feeding. Um, There's less risk of dumping syndrome than with um, an enteral tube, apparently. Um, It uses normal gastric gastric emptying. So the the, uh, tube feed formula is instilled into the stomach, and it is able to empty in its natural way. And... Let's see. That's about it. There's something on here that says it doesn't require an x-ray. It actually does. Um, I, I had written this down a really long time ago. You do actually need an x-ray before you can use it for feeding. And maintaining that good acidic environment, the natural acidic environment in the stomach helps reduce infection. Okay, so what what is the use limit for an NG tube? How long can your patient have one in? Typically, you'd want to get it out after about a week or so. Um, If your patient's going to have to be on feeding for longer than that, I mean, in the ICU, we'll leave them for a little longer. Well, actually, if the patient's that sick, they're probably also intubated. And if they're intubated, we will put the tube in through the oral cavity, an OG tube. And OG tubes can stay in longer because they don't cause the skin breakdown on the nares like an NG tube does. So that's why you would want to limit your NG tube to a week-ish if you can. What happens then with our patients if they've got an OG tube and they're intubated and we're coming up to that decision time, are we going to be able to extubate? or they failure to wean. If they're failure to wean and they need to get a trach, they'll, it's, it comes with a territory that it'll be a trach and a peg tube. So um, just knowing that an OG tube can stay in longer, but an NG tube should not. And if you're going to have long-term, it's going to be a peg tube. Okay, so for your NG tube insertion... Name some of the supplies that you're going to want to get. Okay, so there's the nursing school way and then there's the real life way. But the nursing school way is you'll want to have some sterile water and that's real life as well. Clean gloves, also real life. A chucks can't say I've ever grabbed a chucks for an NG tube insertion, but it's actually not a bad idea because it can get messy. Um, the tube kit itself, obviously. The suction container, um, a stethoscope. You want to be able to listen. Though technically, I know it's kind of old school to um, put in the NG tube and then give an air bolus and listen for the gurgle because studies have shown that even if the tube was in the lungs, you could probably still hear the gurgle and think that it's coming from the abdomen. 
but if that's what you guys do, then you want your stethoscope. You want some tape, okay, so that you can tape it to the nose. You want a 60 mil syringe, and if your NG tube is not marked with the sonometers on it, you'll need a tape measure so that you can measure the distance and how far you're going to go down with that tube. So you're going to place your patient in a specific position for your NG tube placement. What is it? You're going to go into high fowlers. Sit them up as high as you can. And then um, helps if you have them put their chin down and then swallow as you advance. So if you're patient, I mean, people hate this. This is my least favorite thing to do to people. Pretty sure it's my least favorite because I can't imagine having something rammed up my nose. I can't imagine. I punch somebody. So um, it's extremely uncomfortable. People hate it. Their eyes water. They try to bat your hands away. So it's always a good idea. Do this with a buddy. Okay. One person just gently, you don't have to like sit on their hands, but, um, I always, if I'm the helper, I'll just kind of gently place my hands on theirs kind of in a reassuring way. And then if they lift up, I can just kind of gently encourage them to put their hands down because they'll get their hands all up in there and, and they're they're mad and I don't blame them. Um, so you'll have them tilt their chin down and then swallow as you insert it. If they're able to take anything PO and the, sometimes you place an NG tube because they can't swallow. So you wouldn't do this with that person, but maybe they're having it placed for decompression and they can swallow safely. Give them a cup of water with the straw and have them sip the water. And as they swallow the water, advance the tube. Good trick. Okay. So that was the position for placement. How are you going to measure the length of the tube for insertion into the stomach? So what we always do is um, you go from the nares, okay, over to the ear and then to the xiphoid process. So there you go right around there. Usually it's about 55 to 65 centimeters, depending on how tall your person is. I'm talking about adults. Kids are obviously different. How many inches of the tube do you lubricate? So you're going to lubricate like the first three to four inches with um, lubrication jelly. Okay. So you're inserting your tube. You can Feel it curve down towards the pharynx. What you gonna do now? Okay, this is when you're gonna rotate the tube 180 degrees. Definitely want their head tilted, chin down, and that's when they start sipping and swallowing. You will advance that tube about two to three inches-ish with each swallow if you can. Try not to force it. If you are ever inserting an NG tube and you feel a lot of resistance, stop. 
Do not put NG tubes in people with cribriform plate fractures. If you go to my website, straightynursingstudent.com, and search for the search term, just search for NGs, I think, or NG tubes. It's one of the very first posts I did, so it was years ago. But if you find it, there is, maybe I'll try to link to it too on the website. There is a picture of an NG tube in someone's brain. It's a CT scan of an NG tube for real in someone's brain. And I don't know if the patient had a cribriform plate fracture or an anomaly where there was an opening in the cribriform plate and that NG tube went straight up in their brain. That is not good. So if you feel resistance or you feel like the tube's going the wrong direction, stop. A lot of times the tubes will coil in the back of the throat. So if they're coughing and coughing and gagging a lot, okay? So a lot of coughing could mean it's going down into the lungs. You don't want that. A lot of gagging and coughing could mean it's just curling up in the back of the throat. So get a flashlight and you want to have them open their mouth and look, and you should be able to see. It's pretty obvious. Okay, so what are some of the ways you can verify placement of an NG tube? And maybe each of these by themselves isn't enough, but taken all together, it's a pretty good sign it's in a good spot. Okay, so you can have the patient talk. If the tube passed through the vocal cords and into the trachea, they will not be able to speak. You can look at the back of the throat with a pin light. Make sure it's not coiled up in the back of the throat. You can aspirate gastric contents. Assess them. You can assess them for what they look like and for their pH. You can do air auscultation, though, as I said, that's kind of going out of favor. For the gold standard for NG2 placement confirmation is the x-ray, and that's what we do at my hospital. If we're going to be using the NG tube for feeding, we will get an x-ray, and then we do not use that NG tube until the MD looks at the x-ray and writes an order, NG tube, okay to use. If you're decompressing gastric contents or the stomach, you're going to place the NG, hook it up to suction, if a bunch of stuff comes out, guess what? You're in the stomach. So, and if it's green, you're really in the stomach. So it's not as critical that you get an x-ray, but you could do those other things. Um, a lot of times patients will be on decompression and then get feeding. So just because you've been using it for four days on decompression and then now you're feeding, go back and make sure that an x-ray has been done and that it's been confirmed for use for feeding. Okay, how much air are you going to inject into the tube to verify the placement via the auscultation method, which, you know, verifies in air quotes? Do about 20 mils. You don't want to put in so much that the patient has gas pains. 20 mils should be enough that you hear something. Okay, you're going to take your NG tube out of your patient. Okay, what simple thing are they going to want to do after you take this out? They're going to want to blow their nose, so have some tissues ready, okay? <laughs> they don't like it coming out either, but it's not nearly as bad as it going in and then it's out and it's out, so yay, they're much happier. Unless they get really nauseous again and then you have to put it back in. Okay. Uh, dun, dun, dun. 
True or false, a gastrostomy tube has a higher risk of infection than an NG tube. Is that true or false? That is false. Um, let's see. Okay. A jejunostomy, I can never say this, a jejunostomy, come on, jejunostomy tube. Wow, that's hard to say. True or false, a jejunostomy tube requires constant infusion, meaning no bolus feedings. That is true. So that would be a tube that is going all the way from the nose down into the jejunum. So it's considered a nasointestinal tube and those require constant infusions. They're very, from what I've seen, the ones I've seen, very small bore, like angel hair pasta small. I worked in a unit that used those pretty much exclusively and I hated them. They clogged extremely easily and getting meds down that. Oh, and then on top of that, for some unknown, ridiculous reason, they were super, 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 super long. There'd be like a big coil of extra tubing and then it would go to the nose and down into the jejunum. I mean, did they think the patient was going to be 40 feet tall? I mean, Okay, it wasn't that much excess tubing, but it was crazy long. So when you have long, very narrow tubing, it takes a lot of pressure to push something through that. So now you're giving, um, you're giving, you know, what is that? Ducusate oral solution, which is thick, right? Or milk of mag. Oh my God. Giving milk of mag through an NJ tube. My hand, I just, I just barely, I could barely do it. I, my hands were wrecked trying to do that. Anyway, so just so you know, they're very, 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 very small. Okay. If uh, you're checking residuals, you're going to check residuals about every four hours on your patient. And your facility is going to have different policies for what you do with this. But in general, let's say you pull back less than 100 mils of residual. What are you going to do? You're going to give it back to the patient. So that's always fun. It's not so bad when you it's less than 60 mils because it all stays in the syringe and then you can just push it back through. But if you get 60 mils, right, okay, you have to dump that in a container and then go for more. And at our facility, we return everything up to, gosh, I want to say it's like, it's a lot. We, we return a lot. We, um don't hold unless it's residual over like 400 or something. I can't remember exactly what it is, but anyway, and that is, I, that's straight up gross. Okay. Because it's warm first of all, and then you got to get your tube and you got to suck it back up into the syringe and put it back in the patient. And it's like partially digested tube feeding and tube feeding in and of itself is gross. I don't, I just can't with the tube feeding. And then it, it's just, yeah, have fun with that one. Okay. Um, okay. For intermittent feedings about how much volume used for an intermittent, intermittent feeding. 
usually an intermittent three to 500 mils. Okay. And that'll all depend on the patient's caloric needs and how many times a day they're getting their feeding, et cetera. What term describes the contents of the stomach emptying too quickly into the duodenum? That is dumping syndrome. Okay. Hypoglycemia develops quickly in clients who receive tube feedings. True or false? And in feedings, you're probably more likely to get hyperglycemic. So we will check blood sugars on everybody who's on tube feedings. Every four hours, we check blood sugars. Okay, how often do you change the bag and tube for feedings? Okay, you want to change that every 24 hours. Okay, the tubing every 24 hours. Um, if you're using an open system, so sometimes you'll, if your patient's on trickle feeds, which is like 20 mils an hour, you know, sometimes you'll start it at a trickle and then slowly advance it. Usually that's how we do it. Or they haven't been tolerating large volumes, so they're just on trickle feeds, or you're just trying to wake up the gut after a lot of surgeries or something. So it's kind of wasteful to use the whole big bottle, which is, I want to say it's a liter. It might be even more if they're only trickling in, you know, 20 mils an hour or whatever. So, and some formulas are specialty formulas, and they only come in a little can. So you have to pour it into this bag. So that's what's considered an open system. So those, um, you're not going to let that formula hang for technically longer than four hours. So you'll be changing that one when you check your residuals, okay? Um, if you're using the closed system, which is the big bottle, which you put the, you screw the tubing down into, that can, um, that can hang for 24 hours. And then you change the tubing and everything every day, okay? Okay, let's see. You're doing an occult blood test at the bedside. How long do you have to read those results? It says here 60 seconds. We don't use that at my hospital, so I can't speak to that. But at one point in time, I knew the answer, and it was 60 seconds, and that's what I wrote down here. So maybe your system's different, but in general, about a minute. Okay, enteral feedings are most often administered via what size feeding tubes? Usually an 8 to 12 French. I've seen um, a little, I've seen some, I feel like we have some 14s maybe, um, but 8 to 12 French is pretty standard. Again, that angel hair one, the NJ one, I don't even know what the French size on that was, but is ridiculous. Okay, now you guys know how I really feel about those. Um, if your patient is high aspiration risk and they are going to need long-term nutritional therapy, what kind of tube would you want to use? Okay, so a um, that's not a PEG tube. I should clarify that. So that would be the jejunostomy tube, the one that I absolutely hate, okay? But there is less aspiration risk because of its location. Um, some, like a Dobhoff, that's another type of feeding tube that does go past the pylorus. And 
I think those just go into the duodenum though. I don't think they go down much further than that. But that also has less of an aspiration risk than just a gastric tube. It's got a little weighted thing on the bottom. So you place it, um, you put it in pretty much the same procedure that for an NG tube. And then you wait and that little weighted end on it kind of with gravity, I don't know if gravity is the right word, with peristalsis, it pulls it down, down, down. And then once it's past the pylorus, um, you get an x-ray and you confirm its position and then voila, there you go. Okay. So what kind of tube would you use for someone who has long-term nutritional therapy needs, but wants to live a normal life? Okay. That's the, the gastro gastronomy tube, gastro, um, peg tube, basically. That's the one that's just right into the abdomen, abdominal wall. That's what we use all the time. If someone's, like I said, the trach and peg, it's kind of the, the, the combo treatment for someone who's going to need long-term nutritional therapy. Peg tubes, so much easier to deal with than NG tubes, just so much easier. Okay. Okay, so you're going to assess a few things before you try to insert an NG tube into someone. What are some of the things you're going to ask the patient about or look on their chart for? Okay, so one of the things you'd want to know is do they have a coagulopathy? Are their platelets crazy low? Um, are they on anticoagulant therapy? What's their INR? What's their PTT? Are they taking, um, when was their last dose of warfarin or heparin or whatever? Do they have a history of nosebleeds? Have they recently had oral facial surgery? And do they have a deviated septum? So if they have a deviated septum, um, ask them which nostril they breathe better out of and go with that one. Okay. You're going to have some... This should have come up in the what supplies do you want. But um, one of the things you want to get, and this may vary by facility, but you want to get something like benzoin or what we use is the, um, what's it called, all prep? It's this little, it looks like an alcohol swab, but it's a little smaller, and it makes the skin really tacky, really sticky. So you want to use that when you put it on their nose because noses get really oily um, so that the, the tape on the nose attached to the NG tube will stick really well. So get something to make the skin sticky or tacky. How much gastric contents are you going to aspirate if you're checking that for placement? Get about five to 10 mils. That should probably be enough. Okay, how often are you going to verify your tube placement? This also varies by facility and practice. Um, basically, daily is good. Anytime the patient's been transported or moved, anytime you suspect that the, the tube has been moved, um, you could do a little quick air bolus before each bolus feeding, um, and then check that, you know, when was your last x-ray done? Are they able to talk? Kind of go through that list of other things that you can do. You could check gastric uh, contents, test pH, 
So if you're giving a bolus feeding, you would want to do that before you give them anything down that tube. Okay. Let's see. Let's say, okay, let's talk a little bit more about the pH. So if the patient's been fasting, like we talked about, their pH should be about one to four. Um, that's gastric fluid. If they've got an intestinal tube, nasointestinal tube, the pH you'd expect is going to be different. It'll be about a little, it'll be higher than six. Okay. So you want to look for a pH higher than six. And then if they've got continuous feedings, so they haven't fasted, it's going to be five or higher. Okay. Um, why would you want to use enteral feeding over parenteral nutrition? So enteral feeding is going to have better utilization of nutrients. It's generally safer for patients, a lot less risk of infection, uh, parenteral nutrition or TPN, high, high infection risk with that. Um, it, remain, it maintains the function and structure of the gut, um, keeps that gut flora happy and doing its job. And it is also a lot less expensive. Okay, is this true or false? An advantage of nasoenteral feedings is decreased gastric reflux and reduced risk of aspiration. That is so true. Okay. Okay. All righty. True or false, a gastric pH of 1 to 4 is a reliable indicator of position of the NG tube. Okay, that's true. We just talked about this, so I wanted to make sure you're paying attention. Um, how often are you going to flush the NG tube, and how much water are you going to use? This is typically 30 mils of water every four to six hours around the clock. In my facility, it's every four hours. Check residual, flush. Um, that just keeps the line open. It keeps um, it from clogging. Two feet can be very cloggy. Um, meds can get in there, maybe really thick meds. You're also going to be flushing before and after meds as well, but just so you know, it'll really keep your system nice and patent if you're flushing with just a little bit of water around the clock. Okay. How much? Oh, we just talked about that. Sorry. How high do you elevate the syringe when you're administering a bolus feeding? So it says no more than 18 inches above the site. Okay. I don't know actually the rationale for that, but if it was on my nursing school exam, it might be on yours. So there you go. Uh, maybe so that it doesn't go in too fast. That's probably what it is. What is the rate for an intermittent?